Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of the Fan Forum, brought to you by the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and tonight we're joined by Dave Fight, columnist over at Husker Max since 2011. Uh, he's uh, He has a blog called Fight Can Write, and that's where you can find him on Twitter as well, at Fight Can Write. He's an observer of the absurd and a purveyor of snark and sarcasm. Welcome to the Fan Forum, Dave. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, before we get into to all the chat, uh, to go over a couple of our upcoming shows and some of the promos, uh, a week from tonight, we have Steve Sipple on, on Monday, August 15th at 8 p.m. So, Redcasters, uh, mark your calendars there. And then this is hot off the presses. On Wednesday night, we're going to be talking about the offense, but we're going to be joined on the offense by Aaron Sorensen. So, that was kind of cool. We didn't know uh, if we'd be able to get her there, but we, we were able to get that uh, finalized tonight. So, that's very cool. Wednesday night. August 10th at 8 p.m. Uh, speaking of Hill Varsity, go to hillvarsity.com slash subscribe. Use Redcast on the promo code and get $10 off your annual subscription. Uh, next up is FSC Edge. Uh, if you guys are looking to make a career change, uh, FSC Edge is the place for you. Check out their available jobs today at www.jobsatfsc.com. Alumni Hall, two Lincoln locations, downtown 1120 P Street and South Point Pavilions, right behind Barnes & Noble. Uh, Alumni Hall carries the largest and best selection of official licensed Adidas gear for the Huskers. That includes sideline apparel such as coaches' polos, dry fit, shorts, visors, hats, sweatshirts, jackets, and more. Uh, Redcasters, are you game ready? And last but not least, Smack and Smooch custom shirts and specialty items. Shane and Laura out there in Elwood, uh, find them at Smack and Smooch on Twitter and Facebook, and you can also use the QR code there. So, Dave, uh, what is the fan forum here? Well, the, the fan forum, for anyone that's new to it, we ask the same four questions to all of our guests. Why are you a Husker fan? What is your favorite Husker fan memory? Who are your all-time favorite Huskers? How do you think the Huskers will do this year? But before we get to that, I just want to just kind of get to know you a little bit here and have you give a little bit of the history. I I mentioned you uh, have been a columnist with Husker Max. You you have your blog, Fight Can Write. You know, how did you get into doing that? And just tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, yeah, I have been, you know, we'll get into the, the Husker fandom in a little bit. But, you know, I've been in Nebraska my whole life. was born here um, 48 years ago tomorrow. Um, and Happy birthday, yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you. Cheap plug there. Um, <laughs> Hey, Redcasters, tomorrow, everyone send a happy birthday note to uh, Fight uh, fight and Write uh, on Twitter there. So, everyone, happy birthday to Dave tomorrow. Thanks. So, yeah, I went, uh, went to the University of Nebraska. Um, and after college, you know, you know, I've been following the team my whole life. And 
kind of at a stretch where I was in between jobs and I wrote something about one of the first games in the 11 season. I, gosh, I should remember who that was now. And wrote something up and my wife read it. And she's like, this is really good. You should send this to somebody. You should publish it. I'm like, well, who? She goes, well, who's a good website? Like, oh. I always liked Husker Max. She goes, send it to them. Okay, cool. So I sent it to them and they were desperate enough that they needed content apparently. So they, they <laughs> ran that. And as I say, the, the rest is history. Been there uh, 11 years now and really enjoy uh, that audience and building that community over there. And I've kind of just kind of grown with it. And it's nice to kind of be able to say whatever I feel about the Huskers, um, both good and bad, and just kind of lay it out as I see it. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot's changed in that time since you started there in 2011. I mean, we're just entering into the Big Ten at that point, exiting the Big 12. And, and geez, we've gone through, what, three coaches since then? I Countless uh-huh. uh, athletic directors, I guess four probably at this point. Yeah, so there's been plenty of change to write about, if, if nothing else. Uh, one of those athletic directors, I have to pull up a tweet of the week, kind of an icebreaker. And Trev Alberts, absolutely correct. This is in response to you. That's awesome. You, you got the uh, you got the attention of Trev. Uh, what is that? What was he uh, saying you're correct about there? He, uh, the Husker account had posted a video about I think it was from fan day when uh, they had the little kids doing the interviews of the players. Mm. It was a really cute video they posted. And, you know, basically Trev said that they had really good fans. And I said, well, the people who make these videos are pretty darn talented too. And that spawned the absolutely correct. And (laughs) being a very humble person, I grabbed that and made it my header picture (laughs) and we'll probably keep it there until I die. Yeah. We, our uh, our pin tweet is when we had Osborne on back in May. So the four of us mm-hmm. were interviewing Osborne. It's like, yeah, that's not coming down anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> no, you get those not, and you not just... likely to stop it. <laughs> that's that's as good as it's going to get, right? Well, let's go to let's go to question one. And right. uh, why are you a Husker fan? Well, uh, I'm guessing you probably have heard this before, but you know, I don't re- I don't really recall any specific moment. Um, and I think that's just part of what it means to grow up in Nebraska, um, especially me out of the child of the 80s. You know, that fandom is just something you're born with. And you, you born, you're born here, you grow up a Husker fan, and it just kind of grows and grows and grows over time. Um, and again, like every other kid of my generation, I have traumatic memories of the two-point conversion in the 1984 Orange Bowl. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, I don't specifically remember crying myself to sleep, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's how it went. I do remember we had school the very next day because we started back early and, you know, everybody at school was really upset and everybody was mad and that was rough. Um, But then after that, you know, probably about the time I turned eight or nine, my dad uh, would get a pair of tickets to one home game every year. Um, I don't exactly remember when he started, probably 82, 83 would be my guess. Um, but you know, coming down to Lincoln for the day, it was just so much fun. It was like my birthday and Christmas and everything else just all rolled up into one. <laughs> you know, we'd come down, we'd spend the whole day. We'd 
you know, walk around downtown, we'd eat lunch and go to the game and, you know, stay till the bitter end and everything else. And just seeing that, you know, that experience in person, and I'm already getting the goosebumps thinking about it. Just if that doesn't instill a fandom in you, um, especially because back then there were one or two games a year on TV. There weren't many chances to see them on TV. Mm. So being able to go to games and just experience it and seeing everything that you can see in the stadium, but not see on TV um, has really been a big part of me. And then, you know, like I said, with, since there were so few games on TV, a big part of my fandom was you know, spending Saturdays, had a little old transistor radio. We'd put KFAB on and I'd go out in the yard and I'd kick a football around to myself and, you know, like every other kid, pretend I'm a Husker and, <laughs> you know, just listen to the, all those games. Yeah, that's I, I very similar, you know, background for me I, growing up in Columbus. You go out in the driveway and shoot hoops during a game because, you know, 75% of the games weren't going to be on TV and listen to Pavelka. Um, I, and when you do get to go to a home game, how special that was. And it, I'm sure wherever you're coming from, I think you said you grew up in, in Gretna, me growing up in Columbus, yeah. you kind of take the same drive. We would, we'd get to Seward. Mm-hmm. We need at the same place. You're listening to seven hours of pregame. Cause why wouldn't there be on radio? You need that. And I, I've heard every soybean ad by the time we hit the interstate and just really a, a cool those are the memories as much as anything, as much as even the game itself, it's kind of the, everything that surrounds it, getting to the game was a destination. And, um, you know, I almost living in Roca now, so just South of Lincoln, I know you said you live in Lincoln. I almost feel I've taken, I've taken that for granted now that I'm so close to Memorial stadium. Like there, there are weekends in the past where it's like, Oh, I have a chance to go. And, but you know, it's, it's easier to sit in the basement and watch it on TV. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, man, I, my, my 10 year old self would come back and just slap me across the head. Like it was a, it was a big deal that to, to, you made that trek. It was an hour and a half. And um, so this is the first year we've got season tickets. Now we haven't done that in, in years. And, and so I'm excited. Um, my son is his birthday's tomorrow as well. He's turning 10 and I'm excited to start giving him some of those memories too. We got him into the, his first ever game a year ago. Um, he's on the autism spectrum. So he has a whole different thing where, where, you know, fireworks and big booms are not his yeah, favorite yeah. thing. And, we took him to Memorial Stadium when he was about five. Uh, in fact, it was the Tanner Lee spring game. Took him there and got there late. And, and it was a, you know, it was just a, a mess on my part. And the place is going nuts and he lost it. And I did not win any father of the year awards that, that day. I was like, oh, Kathy, can you take him down underneath for a little while? I'll be down at halftime. I came down and he is, he's just sitting there doing this. And I was like, I, I felt about that small. And mm-hmm. We went home after that, and he did not want to even see that stadium for another two years. The place I grew up wanting to be at every single day of my life, that kid couldn't have hated more. If he saw Memorial Stadium, he wanted nothing to do with it. So when we were able to start getting him to go back about two years ago and just even kind of walk in there, it was it was a great moment. And then last year I got, got him to go to Buffalo, and he made it for about a half, which that's <laughs> better than Buffalo did. So. Um, yeah, that's that's my my son has a, had a similar experience. My son has some hearing issues, and mm-hmm. we took him to a spring game probably around the same time because he's he'll be ten. He's ten now, and you know the fireworks would go off, and he's covering his ears because it's so loud for him with his hearing issues, and I just didn't enjoy it. And you know, I've taken to one game. We went to the Bethune Cookman game. 
-hmm. and made it through that all right. Um, but I just, I haven't been able to light the passion in him yet. Um, I'm not pushing it because I know I don't want to shove something on him, but I'm just hoping at some point that that spark lights and mm -hmm. he'll be wanting to go with me. Well, you know, I think getting some victories it maybe is that spark. And I, you had a couple of great tweets this last week. I wanted to, wanted to highlight one of them, a, a trivia one here. Random Husker fact, 33% of Scott Frost wins as Nebraska's coach are against teams from the state of Illinois. And it was 2018 Illinois, 2019 Northern Illinois, 2019 Illinois, and then Northwestern in 2019 and 20 and 21. But I thought the second one was really interesting. And, and Rob, if there's any uh, answers that come in here, feel free to put them across the, uh, the front here. This is a, a trivia question. We're not giving you the answer here, Redcasters. Bonus trivia question. Scott Frost has five wins over teams from the state of, of Illinois. What, team, what state's teams is in second place? And can you name the teams? So what state do we have the second most wins over? And this was a um, – when you posted that last week, Dave, uh, and we responded right away with the correct answer, I just want to – I got to give Boomer the credit. It wasn't me that got that. Boomer had that right away, and that's that's one of those that are in his uh, wheelhouse. He, he, uh, he likes those kind of facts. So I thought that was a very good, uh, good set of tweets there. Dave's a, a fight can write. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Always entertaining tweets and everything coming out. So uh, great follow, Redcasters. Kurt Peterson says New York. Is that correct, Dave? That is correct. Who are the two? And that was, yeah, that was a, it was a depressing fact to realize. <laughs> and uh, the two both happened last year. Um, Fordham and Buffalo. There you go. There you go. So Illinois, Illinois and Iowa. then New York. I guess we're, we're at least being up on heavily populated states there. I don't know that it's as impressive, but. Exactly. So good recruiting basis. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's why we went after New Jersey and Rutgers, you know, in the Big Ten. was We wanted to get the New York market with Rutgers. That's that's what I'm told. So Exactly. Definitely got to do that. Well, let's move on to question number two. What is your favorite Husker fan memory? Uh, let's see. The one that comes to mind, the first one that comes to mind is 1987. Uh, this was the, the game, I think Nebraska was like two, I think. And then they played number three UCLA. Mm. Um, and so, like I said, my dad would get a pair of tickets every year from some guy he knew in town. I don't know how the heck he got these tickets because... You know, it's number two versus number three. It's UCLA. It's a big name. Um, we're still, we are in the stadium. I think these seats were pretty high up in South Stadium, but, you know, I didn't care. I also, to be honest, I really couldn't appreciate the fact that it was a number two versus number three game. Mm. Um, I only realized that a couple of years ago when I was looking back on it. I'm like, holy crap, I was there for a top five matchup and, I probably appreciate about as much as I did when I saw Utah State, mm -hmm. um, but we were we were there, and you know, so we're pretty high up. And you know, when we would sit that high, my dad would always bring a pair of binoculars, and I would like to look, use them, and just kind of look around and look in the huddle and whatever else. And so it was kind of, I think it was third quarter. Um, I've, I've looked this up at one point. Um, I think it was third quarter. And the huddle broke, and as they were breaking the huddle, uh, Steve Taylor's the quarterback, 
and I kind of gave Rod Smith just a kind of little pat on the butt, and they kind of broke the whole mic. Oh, yeah, they're going to watch watch 88. They're going to go throw to 88. I didn't know a damn thing. I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I was confident that something was going to happen. You know, not realizing that, you know, I knew that Nebraska was a running team. Rod Smith's a whiteout. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to happen. So, you know, Taylor fakes a handoff to the fullback, drops back over the middle to Rod Smith, you know, like a 50-yard, 48-yard touchdown. And I'm just like, well, that was pretty damn cool. You know, I, <laughs> I saw that happen. I knew what was going to happen before everybody else did. And that's one of those things that just cemented um, my fandom. It cemented the fact that, you know, no one on TV saw that. You know, unless you were watching the huddle through binoculars, you didn't see that. And so that always, that's what cemented to me of if, you, if I had the chance, I'm going to go in person because you see so much more. You just experience mm-hmm. so much more. You know, that was also that game was uh, Steve Taylor set a record with five touchdown passes. Um, so which, you know, I think that record held up probably until Gans, I think, broke it. Yeah, de- that, yeah, definitely Callahan era. That was a really yeah. cool experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hold know. tight for a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna go grab a photo right over here. I have Rod Smith came to my uh, youth midget football banquet when I was like in eighth grade. I got, or sixth grade. I'm gonna go get it. I'll be back in two seconds. All right. We'll just talk amongst ourselves right now until he gets back. I know this makes for great podcast, but can't that's all right. All right. So this is young honky talking with uh, Rod Smith at the, uh, I think this would have been at Johnny's in, in Columbus in about 1987 yeah, or, or 88. He's got the got a toothpick in his mouth and everything. I want to say, if I remember the story right, I think he hit a deer driving back to Lincoln, <laughs> but everyone was okay at least. Um, yeah, you know, you mentioned number two versus number three, a big game, important mm-hmm. game. And maybe this is something I think about for all the, the young Redcasters that, uh, you know, listen to us talk about the old days and everything, but what that stadium is like when it's a big game, when when a lot is on the line. That's the thing. We've had, a, you know, we've had a few moments the last few years, a couple here or there, you know, you know, we beat Michigan State in Riley's year 2015, but we were three and six. So, you know, even though we beat yeah. a top 10 undefeated team, we were, we didn't do our end of it. And, you know, t- I guess talk a little bit about what was that? What was that like? You went to school from 93 to 97. You were there during the 60 and three um, mm-hmm. dynasty, every single season of it. What was that like to be in Memorial Stadium for you when it was so much on the line, a top five matchup? Well, the the one the one thing that was really different then from what it is now is, you know, now the student section is all general admission. So it's first come first serve. So if you wanted good seats, you got to show up. I don't know what time the kids have to get there now, but Mm. we were talking once, you know, if that was there in 95, you'd have to get there at six in the morning for a two 30 kick at least. Mm -hmm. Um, but back then, we had assigned seats. Um, my sophomore year, which would have been 94, uh, me and three 
buddies, we had four seats in the first row of the South Stadium, or excuse me, at East Stadium, Section mm -hmm. 10. Um, just the most amazing seats. You know, if, if you bought them now, you'd be paying a $2,500 per ticket donation, plus the seat cost, plus everything else. <clears throat> you know, I think we paid 78 bucks for the season. <laughs> yeah. And just had amazing seats. Um, but it was, it was one of those things where we you'd get there and you were there before kickoff. Um, because if you weren't, you weren't going to be able to fit into your row because mm -hmm. everybody showed up. Um, you spent most of the game kind of standing sideways because <laughs> there was usually a couple extra people in each row because the students would move down from the higher sections or move, you know, the overhangs in east where it's kind of restricted view. They kind of block, shove in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you'd stand up on the bleachers and then... The only time you sat was during timeouts. You'd sit down for those that minute and a half, and then you're right back up and yelling to you, lose your voice, and God, it was so much fun. <laughs> and and it was, you know, I won't say every game mattered because you know, I was there for '95. Most of those games were over at halftime, but it was just that confidence of, okay, we're gonna score 50 points today. We're gonna win, you know. Maybe Matt Turner will throw a ball today. Who knows? Well, and it was you, you, it was that excitement, that confidence, it just made it so much fun. Well, you just mentioned '95, and I, I love it every time that, that. No disrespect to the teams right now that are playing, and Alabama's had some great teams. I think that LSU team from a couple of years ago is one of the greatest of all time. But every year when there is somebody that you know goes undefeated inevitably oh well that's probably the greatest team of all time and then someone will say no 95 nebraska oh come on get out of that's 25 years ago that 95 nebraska team you know finished the season playing four top 10 teams kansas k-state colorado and florida mm -hmm. beat them by an average of something it was like 28 or 30 points or whatever average win against top 10 teams it was such a dominating team in in the middle of an amazing era. I mean, you were there 93, 94 before 96, 97 after lots of good teams and players before and after, but there was something special about that 95 team. That's my freshman year on college at college. Um, and uh, Dave from, from our show, he and I and a friend, Travis, we went out to the Colorado game and, and uh, watched that out in the Rockies. Mm -hmm. I mean, geez, they scored on the first play of the game to Mon Green. It's just, I've never seen a more dominating team than 95. Yeah. I, the the one thing that still, if you want a way to get me triggered up, is um, just mention the '95 team and how you know Osborne cheated and use all these bad players. Like the game after Phillips got suspended, um, Clinton Childs took the very first play of the game, 65 yards for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. And no disrespect to Clinton Childs. I'm not sure he was the second best running back on that team. You know, because you had Damon, Amon Green on that. And you Damon Benning and even Jay Sims, for Christ's sake. Jay Sims would have started probably for at least five of the other big eight schools. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, the team that, that you're talking about that he did that against wasn't Pacific. It was Arizona State. Right. They were they were up 63 nothing, I believe it was, at halftime against Arizona State something I'm sure that the Sun Devils remembered the next year in, in 96, and they had a, a really good team returning. But still, that was 
as dominating of a performance. And to your point, that was right after losing Phillips the week after it. Um, Phillips didn't play for, you know, basically the rest of the season. He got in some, some, you know, kind of time at the very end of some of the last games. But I mean, he was, he was not even on the team for a good month and a half or whatever, totally different times. I know that, that, you know, I don't want to really gate all that stuff, but different times in terms of how, how it'd be handled uh, nationally, how it'd be handled too. But, um, but I remember Ron Brown talking about it one time where he's like that, that season was so strange because you had all of that noise, all the off field stuff that, you know, could break apart a team and yet he's never seen a team be stronger together. And then it just kind of galvanized them together. Never seen a stronger locker room and that those guys that, you know, the more comments and everything that would be thrown their way, the harder they would play the next week. And that, and that was it. And they, and they just demolished every team they played. Yeah. And it, it seemed like the more adversity they faced, the more they just took it personally and just laid it on teams. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one other tweet here I want to highlight from from last week or a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure when you did it, but this was um, let's see here. Are the stripes coming back to the Huskers' pants this season? Are they striped pants just part of the practice attire? And you gave an update. Probably not. Apparently, NU has been wearing striped pants at practice for a while. I found a practice report video from 2019 that showed them. That's too bad because striped pants are better than are greater better than plain pants. I 100% agree with this. Um, the reason I brought it up here is because 95 was the first season that we went away from them. So if you watch the 94, the night, technically the 95 orange bowl, uh, beat Miami Osborne's first national championship. I think that's the best apparel we've ever worn. (laughs) It's the Mm -hmm. perfect color of red. It's the two stripes on the side. And by the next year we had switched to Adidas for the first time. The pants become straight white. There's no, there's no, uh, stripes on them and then the, the red got a little i don't know a little brighter or a little shinier it was a darker red yeah. in 90 in 94 um and uh yeah I, but you know it used to be a mess all across the board like we were like converse apex uh, a couple other i mean and then all of a sudden when we switched to adidas you know the first time bill Byrne, you know kind of got us onto just one apparel company then it was like everything became adidas I 100% agree with your tweet there on the on the the stripes are better. I had no idea the 95 team didn't wear striped pants. I'm going to have to look that up because I'm not calling you a liar, but I'm, man, that doesn't, huh. I'm going to have to look that up. Somewhere here, I wonder, I, gosh, I have to, somewhere I think I have a, here, um, the perfect season. Is that one? Got a couple magazines here. This is the can't quite see it on that one. No. Again, this is great podcast, but I can't help it. It really is, and I apologize for this. I'll own this one. <laughs> Gosh, just can't, and that's 94. Hmm. Well, anyways. <laughs> that'll be that'll be my homework. There, that'll be the homework there. Yep. But um as I recall it, 94, that was the last one. And I remember being upset at the time. This is why I think I'm I'm right here is that what I remember is being upset, frustrated after that orange bolt where I loved that look. And then by the next year we came out and we were, we were stripeless, but. Hey, Redcasters. I know the economy has been tough and 
Are you looking for a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having a competitive, stable history of over 20 years? What is FSC Edge, a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies, expert services, helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality, and they support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the United States and Europe. You can work with fun people with great attitudes, learn about patents. You're not on the phone. You're not customer facing. You can dress just like me right now in your Husker tank top and your Go Big Red Cast hat. And you can work in a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. Job also comes with excellent benefits. Go check out available jobs today at www.jobsandfsc.com. Anyways, um, let's move on. Question number three. Who are your all-time favorite Huskers? So, again, the first one that came to mind. Um, again, I'm I'm going to be the stereotypical Nebraska fan who's living in the 1990s, but you know that was a very formative time for me. So, again, my freshman year is 93, and up until that point, I had I'd only been to like one game per year. So now I've got season tickets. I can watch every game, stay till the very bitter end. Um, and that 93 team, they don't get talked about a lot, but they were good. Um, mm -hmm. They blew a ton of teams out. And so you get to the second half and people are leaving and you know, I could kind of sneak down a little bit, get a little closer. And then one of the things I love about the blowout wins is when those back get in, those guys who, you know, the small town kids who never, you know, bust their ass to be fifth string and their chance for glory is two carries in the fourth quarter of the North Texas game. Um, and so I, I've always had a soft spot for the guys like that. And so the 93 season, you know, we get the blowouts and I think it's like the fourth or fifth string Iback would come in and the old same announcer would do this ball carried by Mako Vicka. And it was just this beautifully lyric name of Mako Vicka. And I was watching like, you know, he's, for a fifth string, he's pretty good little back. Um, and so the 94, they, they moved him over to fullback and he mm -hmm. was kind of back up on that team. And then in 95, he was the starter on the greatest team of all time. So obviously this is Jeff, Mackovic, the older brother. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously Joel became another one of my favorites, but I've, I've always, um, Really like those two guys. I um, thought they were really good players, um, tough runners, you know, and that those kind of evolved into this overall enjoyment that I have for walk-on fullbacks from small-town Nebraska schools. <laughs> um, you know, there was a point where I could kind of go through the list year by year and say who the walk-on fullback was and what school he was on. I'm kind of falling off on that. Um but I can tell you the last great Nebraska fullback is a kid from my hometown, Andy Janovich. The last great walk-on Nebraska fullback. I'm hoping he's not the last um, ever great walk-on, you know, fullback. I hope that yes. I hope that there's a future still for that spot. And I I get called out for, you know, yeah, living back in the nineties, but I really think that that's an important position and that still can be utilized and we've got players that can do it here. 
and it was you know it was so cool when when Janovich played because mm. you know Gretna was when I graduated they were a very very small class B school they dipped down to C1 for a couple years after I graduated and you know there are some guys who came and walked on but never saw any playing time so I think Janovich is like the real the first guy to see any sort of significant playing time probably since like the 80s and and so now there's a bit of a Gretna pipeline. So you know you had Stoltenberg, yeah. um, the kick Frankie, the the kickoff specialist is from there. There's been a couple others who have hmm. played off and on. So you know that moment, I never got to appreciate that as a kid of the, you know, the people from Columbus or from Grant or name your other small town. You've got that hometown guy who plays a big moment and everybody goes crazy for him. And so I got to see that that Wisconsin game where he had that big touchdown was another one of my favorite moments, probably my favorite from any game Nebraska's ever lost. Um, I mean, the just crowd seeing, was crazy after that. A great, yeah. great run. And no, I, I think that's an important thing you're saying there with like how the state, we always say the state owns this team more than any other state owns a, owns a football program. It really it, but it, it's having that hometown touch to a player. It can just be one. That can be all it takes. Now, for us in Columbus, we, we happened in the middle of the 90s. That's where Schlesinger was from. I mean, he was my – his dad was uh, our garbage man, you know, had, for years. Um, you know, we had Tim Carpenter was there. Uh, J- Jesse Cush, I played with him. I was a sophomore when he was a senior in high school, and he was our punter for all those years. Uh, my my senior year, we actually had a scholarship player in my class at Columbus Cotas, Brandon Drum. Who played? He was a defensive lineman, made it for a few years. But um, you know, there was a number of guys. Jeff Flake ended up, you know, being a receiver, you know, starting uh, in '97 some games. So um, there was a number of guys like that back then. And I, I think that that is that's a that was an important that's an important element that's missed been missing. I can say in Columbus the last 20 years, we haven't had that same connection. Now we have Ernest Hausman, and I yeah. think that's awesome. I think that's it's great to get that pipeline hopefully started up again. We're big on this show on the Redcast on in-state talent, identifying it, going after it. We don't like years like last year where four mm-hmm. kids from Omaha, o- Omaha leave. And so, uh, and I think overall, generally speaking, I've, I've been pleased with this staff on how they've gone about recruiting in-state, but um, it's just making sure that that it is a priority. And last but not least, Rob, uh, Alumni Hall, two Lincoln locations, downtown 1120 P Street and South Point Pavilions, 2910 Pine Lake Road. That's right behind the Barnes & Noble. And a whole bunch of good uh, Husker gear there. Go get yourself some there. I think one of the things, you mentioned the 93 season. We talked with Damon Benning. It was back in April. And he talked about, we asked him, when did things start to change? Because he got there in 92. And they're good. They're winning nine games a season. A lot of good players. But but what was it? What took you from going nine and nine wins and all of a sudden becoming the dynasty that you got to see while you were in college? And he said it was when players started to root for other players. That was the big difference. He goes, when, when you knew it didn't benefit you. So Trumaine Bell, you know, was rooting for Abdul Muhammad, even though Abdul Muhammad was taking snaps away from Trumaine Bell. And, and it was down the list. He, he gave mm-hmm. plenty of examples, right? Brooke Barringer is rooting for Tommy Frazier, even though Tommy Frazier is taking uh, snaps away from him. When I think of this team right now in a transfer portal year, where the team changes so much. We brought in all these guys, and all you're going to hear about right now is culture. And and they're going to say all the right things right now. Right now, you know, the culture is great, and, and we're getting along great. And, and I, I 
I'll, I will take them at face value and I, and I believe them, but the reality will be is when, if Caleb Taylor Tanner can root for O'Shawn Mathis, even if O'Shawn Mathis takes a couple snaps away from him, if O'Shawn Mathis can root for Caleb Tanner, when Tanner takes a couple snaps away from him and, and it goes down the whole list when that mm-hmm. happens, then I think you can see that that's to me, that's the culture really taking place. And I, and again, I don't see it. I don't have any issue seeing that not happening, but that's important to happen, especially when you have a year like this, where you've had so much transition with the, with the portal and everything. Yeah. The, that culture, you know, I, I love and I hate the culture discussion because mm-hmm. it matters. It truly matters. I've, you know, I played sparingly in high school, but I know from the teams I played on, the team that was good, you know, A, we had good players, and B, there was a culture that we were going to win. Um, And you can think about that in other team settings you might be on. Um, Definitely for guys our age, it applies to work settings where, you know, you can have good teams at your job and you can have bad teams at your job and Mm. when you're on a bad team at work it shows up in how people act how their performance you know it's it's it can be toxic and and i think the culture you know from what i see is there um because one of the things that i've been thinking about recently is i've been trying to kind of put a cap on the 21 season and just how everything ended up there. And, you know, I go back and forth on the whole close discussion. Um, Were they close? Were they not? Eh. And, you know, regardless of where one lands on if they were close or not, the one thing I think saying they were close does is it kind of takes away from what the true legacy of that 21 team is. And the 21 team to me, they were fighters. They never, ever quit. You you can look at so many games in that season. Illinois, Minnesota, Ohio State, several others, Oklahoma, where they got down by two touchdowns in the second half. They very easily could have just rolled it up and said, you know what? It's not going to happen today, so we'll try again next week. But they never, ever did that. Mm -hmm. And they, they scrapped and they fought and... You know, nine times they came up short, but damn it, they tried and they never quit. And, you know, maybe that's just a sentimental old guy thing, but that matters. It, and the I worst that, that carries through. The worst football I've ever seen Nebraska play was 2017, the last year of Riley, where I, this is where you kind of get away from record for a second. And that, that team was four and eight. Well, was that a better team than the three and nine one last year? Hell no. Last year's team fought every game with a really difficult schedule for what it's worth. But, but I mean, there were flat out times in 2017 where I saw a team that just didn't even look like they wanted to be out there. And last year's team, the effort, Mm -hmm. I never questioned that. I questioned the mistakes and there were changes that were made to the coaching staff in areas of the team where I think some of the biggest mistakes were made. But I think to, to your point, whether it's, you know, we, we know all the records that happened last year, the nine single digit losses, the eight one score losses. And, and I mean, there's, there's some historic records that happened, but were we close? 
I would say it's it's this pinch test. We're that close to to winning those games, but that doesn't mean that we have to get this much better to win them. You may have to, we might have to get this much better to make up that difference. And and that's the part. So why do we make all these changes? Why do you why do you get rid of two of your three coordinators? Why do you make all these position coach changes if you only need to get this much better? It's because to get this much better, we have to make that many changes. I mean, that many things were going wrong. Offensive line wise, you know, there's a lot of focus on, you know, we need to get, uh, you know, switch from zone to to man blocking and all that. I just think we need, we need to cut mistakes. That was, uh, you know, too many mistakes for too too long. And so those are the, you start to fix those things. And then I think that that gap will start to close there. That's the hope, at least. I mean, that's that's the optimist hope that, uh, you know, we can we can flip a lot of wins in, in a short period of time while the schedule also becomes more manageable. Yeah, I, you know, I, I if we're going to talk close, I think, you know, the 93 team to me was close. You know, they were um, a game away where they were mm-hmm. underdogs, but they were a field goal away or some really, really crappy calls away from being national champions. And I think that version of close inspired set the tone for the 94 refused to lose team sure. and you know they made the tweaks they set that goal and they achieved it whereas last year you know since what november you know nebraska's fired the four assistants they hired two new coordinators they brought in a dozen plus transfers all with the idea that they need to play now um and i to me i don't see that as close um i think it's more of an overhaul and quite frankly i think that's good because if you are three and nine or what 15 and 29 overall nobody wants that so i think if you say that they're a closed program i think that kind of cheapens the work that frost and the assistants have done over the offseason to dramatically improve the talent to maintain that culture um improve the coaching um so that's that's the idea is, you know, I think in the micro of each of nine games, mm-hmm. yeah, they were close. They were close nine times. But yeah. big picture, I don't see it as close, and I don't think that's a bad thing considering mm-hmm. where we're going to be at in three weeks. Yeah, I, I think it, it's – and it gets in a little bit into, like, the verbiage. And another word I'd use that isn't close is competitive gets used. And – and it can be used, I think, correctly or incorrectly. Uh, uh, one of the writers from Ohio asked that question to Frost last year and goes, you know, what is it going to take to get to Nebraska to be more competitive? And he pounced on it right away where he's like, well, oh, yeah. we're competitive. We're, we're playing with these teams mm-hmm. all the way down. That's 100% true. You can also say, are we competitive in the standings when we get to November? And the answer to that is no matter how good or how close or not close or whatever the verbiage you want to use, we have not been competitive. We have not played meaningful games in Memorial Stadium in the month of November in the standings. We haven't since he's gotten here. Um, I mean, to go back to what you talked about when you were a kid growing up, play, watching a team number two versus number three, that's important too. And so th- th- it's a lot of things. You know, I asked you before we got on, I was like, you know, are you an optimist? Are you a realist? And because and we have to label everyone, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's the way we are in this country. Now, are you a Democrat or Republican? Are you this, this? And at the end of the day, it's like, you know what? I literally truly believe I'm a bit of both. And I think, I think a lot of people are, I, I hear a lot of optimism in your, in your voice as you're talking, even though you, you kind of said, Hey, I, you know, I'm, 
kind of had the realism beat in it, into me. Well, who hasn't as a fan right now? I mean, I've, I am too, but yet there's also that optimistic piece of me um, that will actually, quite honestly, I hope it's always there. I hope I never lose the optimistic hope, but um, it's been tested. <laughs> I'll give it that. Yeah, that's and that's the thing is, you know, I can't remember going to a game and, you know, I've been going to games pretty much ever since I've been to college. You know, I I was trying to look the other day. I think I've missed four home games since 93. So I've, oh, wow. I've been to a lot of home games. I've been to, you know, before kids, I had a, went to a lot of road games. I haven't been on the road for a while, but mm-hmm. I can't remember sitting down before a game thinking, we got no chance today. You know, there's no hope. You know, even Ohio State in 2017 or 2019 or pick a year, um, I never thought, you know, there's absolutely no hope. You know, there's games where you're like, man, it all has to go right. <laughs> 2017 but, Ohio State was one of those. I was like, that's going to happen. Yeah, there's, there's, there's games where it's like, okay, everything has to go right, Yeah, but there's a chance. And, you know, I, I definitely will never lose that. Um, mm-hmm. There's times where I'm like, okay, that 2017 team, you know, we could replay that season a thousand times. They're going to end up the same record or worse. Mm-hmm. You know, they're never going to turn into a 9-1 team. And that's, that's just the reality of it. But, you know, I don't, you know, I think if that's, you know, again, realist, optimist, who cares? You know, it's, mm-hmm. It's about being real to who you are and you know, seeing what your eyes tell you. Yep. Um, before we get to, to question four here, since this was about uh, who's some of your all-time favorite Huskers, I want to highlight some work you did that I still use every once in a while. And I didn't realize this was you that wrote this. Um, this is from like 2014, I think it was, but you did a greatest Huskers by number. And I want to actually say, I want to thank you for this because it's a, it's a service you've done. I, there are so many times over the years I've Googled it and like, you know, who's a, you know, who's the best number 64. And this always came up and and I, and it wasn't until I just kind of stumbled on it again, like a week ago. And then I was like, Oh, Dave wrote this and I'm going to be talking to Dave in a week. So I had to highlight that, but uh, that's a very cool, that was very cool that you did it. Uh, how much research, how long did that take you to put all that together? Uh, first of all, thank you. Second of all, best 64 would be Bob Brown. There you um, go. <laughs> and to answer your question, it was a crap ton. Um, <laughs> you know, there is, there is no all-time composite roster that exists. Um, somebody has one. Um, by all means, my DMs are open. Hit me up. I would love to get a copy of that. Mm-hmm. Um, my original intention with that project was that was the, you know, the 50th year of the sellout streak. Or as, I think is why I started was the 50th year of the sellout streak. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of went back through those 50 prior seasons, I think back to the beginning of the Banny and just, you know, truly went to Husker Max, highlighted the roster, copy, paste it into a spreadsheet. Um, spent a crap ton of time cleaning it up and getting it formatted and and but the the outcome of it you know that was a lot of work but the outcome of it was a lot of fun because there were a lot of guys you know from the 70s and 60s who yeah I knew the names but when I'm trying to think of who's the best person to wear 
oh heck, let's say 72, you know, I knew that 72 is on the wall. I think who is that now? Will Shields or so Shields is 75. Oh, 75. Okay. Um, 72 is one of the retired members from the 70s. Oh, as in like Glover or Jacobson? Or? Yeah, I think it's Jake. I think it's Jacobson. Glover's also yeah. 75. Why am, Why can't I? What was Weigert? But just being able to. Yeah, Weigert's also 72. Yeah, you're yeah. right. But again, just being able to go through and you know, learn about so many of these guys, especially with some of the oddball numbers where. And there is nobody. You know, there's there's a handful of numbers where there's never been like a, a first team all conference selection to ever wear that number. Hmm. Okay, well, I gotta pick somebody. Who are we going with? And hmm. I that's what made that project fun was not only did I get to pick the the quote unquote best, but then I also did kind of somebody that I remembered seeing that I liked and and you know, again just being able to talk about experiences and memories I had was super fun. Um, I have toyed with the idea of revamping that project um, because A, I only went back to the start of the sellout streak and I would love to be able to do a full one of all time. Mm -hmm. Going back to whenever they started using numbers on uniform, which I think is 1925, 27, somewhere in there. And Redcast, yeah. kind of going with that. Um, that is a that's a mountain of work, but I think it'd be a lot of fun. And there's a ton of once you have that data, there's mm-hmm. a ton of fun things you can do with it. Yeah, I I can put you in touch with Redcast Boomer because he would be he is our historian on the show, and he he lives in the era of Jumbo Steam and all those those players and, and the coaches back then, but. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's great work what you did. And it, like I said, it's something I have just periodically over time, I seem to keep running into and, um, it's nice to be able to put the face to the the person who did it. So kudos there. Yeah, that, that's a fun project. And it's, and it's, you know, been fun the 10 years since to be like, okay, is, would I swap anybody in from the current eras or people who, you know, would I make any changes now? And I think for the most part, Adrian Martinez, I forget who I had it too, but Martinez would probably get the call there. Um, I think maybe one or two others I would move in, but mm. you know, and that's a bit of a commentary on how the last decade has gone. That there's not a lot of replacements I would make. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it is. It's kind of the recency commentary that of not being great, but also a lot of times we're going to be it's the Rod Smiths and the people that we grew up with. They're always going to have a special feeling to us. And I think about that mm-hmm. when I talk to my dad or, you know, I talk to someone from that generation that, you know, was in the sixties and seventies, we had Mike Babcock on a couple weeks ago and we did a full history of the Nebraska Oklahoma series. And you talk to him and, and, and he was a fan in the sixties and he talks about those players, Wayne Malin and those guys, yeah. he talks about them the way that, that, you know, you and I would talk about, you know, one of the guys from the, the mid nineties and, and, uh, and it's interesting now that we're at an age where we can look back on an era and, and you know, we sound like the old guys to, to the young ones, but. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let, let's go to uh, question number four here. And this is the fun. We already kind of touched on little bits and pieces of this, but uh, the enjoyable, I love ending with this. How do you think the Huskers will do next year? 
or I, I should say this year now. We're a couple weeks away. Well, uh, I'm going to preface this with um, I'm going to break one of my cardinal rules tonight, which I've never <laughs> done. Um, since I've been doing the Husker Max thing, I've been asked you know, by friends, by family, by random people on the internet, how are they going to do this year? I'm like, and I always, always, always have given a wishy-wash answer of, well, I think they could be, I think they could be good. I think they could do good things. You know, I think they've got a chance in every game, you know, something to that mm-hmm. effect. And, you know, I've never said, well, oh, nine and three or seven and seven or whatever the number would be, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll give a number. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm guardedly optimistic. You know, you know, five years ago when Frost was hired, I had blind faith that it would work. You know, I knew it wasn't going to happen overnight, but I was confident. Shit, I was convinced <laughs> that he would rebuild whatever needed fixing. He'd establish a high-powered offense, and he would get Nebraska back. <sighs> but these last few years have, you know, they've arranged that bad faith. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think everything could click and, you know, for the program as a whole. And, you know, I want to be absolutely clear. I want that to happen. I would love for that to happen. You know, I would love to have my son, your son, all, everybody else mm. be excited about a team. I would love to be able to chastise people for being bandwagon fans. I want to give them something to be a bandwagon about, mm. but I have a prove it mentality now. Um, you know, is Casey Thompson healthy enough to do things that either one of the Martinez's couldn't? Maybe, but I, I need to see it. You know, can the defense, can they replace those losses on the defensive line? You know, who's going to take the JoJo Doman role? Um, what's going to happen in the secondary? You know, do they have pieces? Maybe. I need to see it. Um, you know, will Frost really turn over the control of the offense? Can Dominic Rayola transform the line into a liability from a liability into a strength? Prove it. You know, can they avoid the stupid mistakes and not bet down special teams? Prove it to me. Um, I've said before, and I will say it again, that I will be, this year, I will be happy with six wins. Um, could, they, could they get more? Absolutely. Could they go three and nine again? Absolutely. And so that's kind of where I'm at is get me to a bowl game and then let's build from there. Um, one of the things that I've said, or I haven't said it out loud yet, but I'm, I've started something I'm going to write. I'll publish this in a week or so. Um, I'm kind of looking at frost in the program with both the big picture and small picture view. So, the big picture I've always looked at is for the program, um, you know, I want to see progress. I want to see them building towards something bigger than what it can be. Um, you know, I'm not naive enough to think that it's going to be 94, 95, 97 again, um, because there's a lot of things that have changed since that time that probably won't happen again. But it doesn't mean we can't have a program that is a sustained winner, that is always going to be a division favorite, that is going to 
recruit well, develop better, outwork everybody, and just do the things that we need to do. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of that from Frost, and I've called him out on that you know, several times over the years. I've decided that, you know, for this season, I'm not going to. It's not because I don't care about where the program gets built, because those things absolutely matter. But I think I've realized, and maybe it's taking me a little longer than everybody else, that if he can't win this year, the program building stuff doesn't matter because next year that'll be somebody else's problem. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to let a lot of those big picture state of the program stuff slide. Yeah. Should he made a statement of big 10 media days? Yeah, probably should have. It's a, it's a layup and he didn't take it. Doesn't matter. Now, if they don't win seven games. Yeah. If they, they, at some point, the games matter more than the gamesmanship off the field that, right. that so much Twitter talk and everything ends up being about, right? It, it's something, it might be something with the name Dave because we have Redcast Dave too, and he's he's big on the you know, get to a bowl game six and six kind of thing. He also was big on they should have a, a statement at the uh Big Ten thing. I, I really think that first game Northwestern is just it's so crucial. And and I would say the exact same thing. We said the exact same thing last year with Illinois. The start of the season was so important. Frost has talked about the need to get momentum, which he has some control over as has head coach. Um, we didn't get that momentum last year. Um right. there's the chance the schedule can work its way out to to give some momentum, but mm-hmm. it can also it look it's up to this team has to go out and take that momentum it has to earn it it has to win it game after game and and if you go out and you beat northwestern then you got to get yourself ready to come back in with with a you know a long flight and come back and play a north dakota team and then you got to go and you got to be a, a georgia southern team and you can't look past anyone because uh you know we've lost to troy we've lost to northern illinois we've lost to teams that so you don't look past anyone and then can we play can we beat oklahoma absolutely we can you know we I was in Norman last year yeah. to watch us lose by one score when special teams bit us in the butt and, and a couple other mistakes too. Uh, offensive yeah. line jumping off first play, it was uh, first and 20 before Adrian even touched the ball for the first time. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of, again, that close, right? But but got to do that many more things better to, to get over that. So it's interesting. One of the things I find interesting on Twitter is people one way or the other that – Get so upset, especially with the prognostications. Like, oh my God, you said six and six, and I think it's going to be higher than that. You know, oh my gosh. Or, hey, I think we're going to go ten and two. And then you get the 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 reverberation from the other people. It's like, what do people care what other people think, anyways? Like, I mean, Rob <laughs> Rob's on the background here. He says fifteen and zero, and whether he believes it or not isn't even important. If he believes it, then he believes it. It's like <laughs> let him. <laughs> and the games are going to be played one way or the other. So we're, you know, that's the prove it. At the end of the day, the games are going to be played and we're all going to see where it ends up. I um I'm optimistic that we're going to see a a significant increase in, in wins, but a significant increase, if someone said, Hey, will you double your wins? I think a lot of people would say that's significant. Double your wins and mm-hmm. <laughs> look where we're at. We're right at that six that you talked about, right? So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I, I will say from an excitement standpoint, there's something in me that I, I, I've maybe it just happens every off season, and I'm just noticing it more this year. But I definitely it feels like it's football season. I'm ready. This is I'm pumped. 
Last year when we went to Illinois and Champaign, it was a weird day. It was the first year coming off of, of uh, COVID and everything. And, and I don't know, I just, things feel normal again. Like this feels like it's, it's going to be a normal, normal start of the season, even though we're in Ireland and I don't know, I'm optimistic and, and hopeful and hopeful that all those changes are going to actually get us back there. So. I hope. And that's the thing is, you know, that's all at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, that's all we have control over is, you know, we can hope and support and, if it doesn't work, then okay. Then we figure out what went wrong and try to make sure it doesn't happen that way again next time. And mm-hmm. you know, just dive face first back in the pool and keep going. You know, that's what Redcast Dave, he said that on the very first episode we ever did five years ago. We started in, in spring of 2017. So we've had a glorious five years <laughs> run. But the one thing he said about Husker fans, and this is what makes us blue bloods in, in his opinion, is that yeah, if it doesn't work, we're not going to give up. We will, we'll never let this thing die off. That's kind of what happened with, like, say, Minnesota football in the early '60s, uh, for a number of reasons. The Vikings came in there; that didn't help them either. But, but in Nebraska's case, the, there's so much passion that you know what? If it doesn't work with Frost, then it doesn't work with Frost, and you move on to the next one. And if it doesn't work with that person, you move on, and eventually, you know. 10, 12 coaches later, back in 1962, we ran into Devaney, who wasn't right. even our first option. We didn't want him. We wanted another coach first, and Devaney was our second choice. And sometimes you just dumb luck, you're back your way into it. But the passion of the fans, um, they want to get this thing back. And and when we say back, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, too, and I think this is a really important distinction for really only Nebraska's held to these kind of standards, maybe Alabama, but when when – People go, well, are you really, you know, do you think you're going to go 60 and three over five years, you know, like you did back in your college days? Well, no, but no one else, no one does that. I mean, I'm not holding Nebraska to that standard. I'm holding us to a standard of, of being a consistent player in the national scene, being a consistent winner, tough nosed team, hard to beat nine wins a season kind of, kind of thing. That to me, when I say the standard, that is the standard that I hold us to. And if you're doing that, over time, there's going to be a couple of those years where you you excel above that. You get to that eleven and one, you know, kind of season, and you might have a heaven forbid, we might have an eight and four, eight and four or eight and five season. You know, once we get back to that point too, that might happen too. Uh, not everyone gets to be Osborne and go two fifty five, forty nine three in twenty five years, which is just ridiculous. The guy averaged more than ten games, ten wins, and less than two losses. Insane, absolutely insane. But no, it's. Uh, I think we're on the same page. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the thing is, it. I would love for it to be 95 again, mm. but, you know, I would be perfectly happy with 1988. Mm. That was a pretty good year, too. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the competitiveness, it's not just the, it's not just about the wins. You know, the last time we went nine and four, I don't want, right. to be quite honest, I don't really want 2016 again. It's not about the record. I, Dave and yeah. I flew out to Columbus, Ohio to watch us lose 62 to three. We watched Iowa, you know, do what they did to us and have banker talk about, you know, the, the blood baths that they must have in practice. Um, it, again, this, this always comes back to it's, it's that language thing. It's, are we close or not? I've heard people say, I'm tired of us getting our butts beat by, by Iowa. I'm tired of losing to Iowa, 
We're not getting our butts beat. I, getting our butts beat is what happened in 2016 and 17. We've lost by 19 points in four years. We need to stop making the mistakes. We got to stop getting our punts blocked. We got to stop having kickoff returns like three years ago. We got to stop dropping punts like Cam Taylor Britt did two years ago. Those are those are right. mistakes that need to be fixed. But um, that's different than just getting your butt kicked and you know pushed all around the field too. So there's some progress. I'm telling you, it's what it's strange times. I see progress in areas, but at the end of the day, wins are the thing that are going to matter now. Prove it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, I would. You know. I was thinking the other day, I've, I've seen the goalposts come down in seven of the eight big eight school cities. Um, but I can't remember the last time the goalposts came down in Lincoln. And I would love to see that again sometime. You know, mm-hmm. This year would be great if they could do it. So say in September, that would yeah, sure against, be great. Against North Dakota. I don't care. <laughs> Just bring them down. <laughs> <laughs> if we go to two, if we beat Northwestern and then we, we go to two and oh, being North, you know, North Dakota, yeah, bring them down. <laughs> Put them I would up, say let's wait for Georgia. Let's, let's wait for three and oh to get that first three game winning streak. <laughs> then we can, then we can tear them down and, and party down on the street. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Um, well, this has been a lot of fun. We've gone just over an hour here. That's a typical fan forum there. Um, we're going to do some parting shots, and, and as typical, our traditions, we always let the guest have the final parting shot. I usually wouldn't have one on this, but I am going to have one today, and this is because we had news today. Uh, Jack Pierce, former Husker assistant coach uh, with Osborne, he was a off-field uh, recruiting coordinator, amazing dude. We posted a video of him uh, on YouTube today. It was uh, Osborne's last sports nightly that he did back in 2012 before he left the AD spot, and Jack Pierce comes out there, and I mean, just old school, you know, storytelling, funny guy. And uh, he passed away. So uh, this uh, tweet from the Huskers account today, our heart goes out to the family, friends, Husker colleagues of Jack Pierce, who passed away earlier this morning. Jack served on coach Osborne's staff for 12 plus years as an assistant coach, helping build many of the legendary teams that took the field for the big red. So the red cast certainly gives our condolences to the Pierce family. Dave, send us out of here. All right. Well, yeah. Obviously, if you want to follow, great. Um, if you want to click and read the stuff I would I write, well, let's definitely do that. Um, <laughs> not afraid to admit that I get paid per click. Um, I try not to use clickbait, but by all means, if you if you like something you read, um, share it. Um, or if you don't like it, tell me. I'll answer to it. Um, but otherwise, let's just. Have fun. Let's talk nice to each other. Um, at the end of the day, we're all real fans. Because um, if you're not, you know, you're not going to talk about Nebraska football if you're not a real fan. So mm-hmm. be nice to each other and let's have a lot of fun and remember what it's all about. It's great. We can find you at Fight Can Write on, on Twitter, uh, Facebook.com slash Fight Can Write as well, uh, HuskerMax.com, obviously. Uh, is there any other place uh, to to find your work, or that does that kind of cover it all? The the Twitter, my Twitter bio has the link to my articles on Husker Max. So mm. you know, if you want to start your day by just clicking about fifteen of them, you know, that's <laughs> how I start my day. And, uh, and click refresh a lot too, right? Does that yeah, does that, that help too? You know, 
that makes me a solid nickel, which is super great. <laughs> well, hoping to hoping to pay off my season tickets with my writing is that always the goal. Well, there you go. In in the days of inflation, yeah, every every nickel counts. So, well, thank you so much, Dave. Really appreciate exactly. you joining us. And uh, Redcasters, you too could be the next one to join us on the forum. Hood at Media Production.